You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Neville Naden from mission partner Bush Church Aid. Neville, you've come down from Sydney to be with us, is that right? East Maitland. East Maitland, <laughs> a little bit even further away, but yeah. it's wonderful to have you in Melbourne in our cold, crisp mornings. Yeah, I've <laughs> asked whether or not the heating's the heating <laughs> on this morning. You, so. you did ask whether the heating on <laughs> is on, but it's, it's taking a bit of time to get going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Neville, why don't you start by telling us how did you come uh, to know and follow Jesus? I came to faith in Christ when I was about 17. I grew up around Christian influence, um, not Christian family. My grandfather was a native worker with the Aboriginal Inland Missions of Australia, and so we were influenced by his ministry. Um, My dad uh, didn't come to know the Lord until he was 66, and I had the opportunity of leading him to the Lord. Um, But um, it was as a result of that Christian influence and a number of other things um, that... Uh, all came together uh, where I understood the gospel for myself and uh, God did a work of grace in my heart. I responded to that grace and uh, so be it. What really happened in my situation was there was a group of Aboriginal Bible College students that came to where I was living at the time in Dubbo and these guys were there on mission and so they came to preach the gospel um, and did a wonderful job at doing it. Uh, But I'd seen in them something that I've never seen in my mates. And there was a genuine love and compassion for people, and that spoke volumes uh, to me. Later on in life, I learnt that, uh, you know, the only Bible that some people will read is the way in which we live our lives. And these guys did it uh, in, in, uh, before me, and therefore that spoke volumes to me. And so the last night um, of the, uh, them being there, there was a simple gospel meeting and uh, it was that night that I responded to the call of God upon my life and that was, I don't know, 39 years ago. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah praise God. Um, now you've, you've worked as a pastor out in Broken Hill at a, at a church out there, but since 2017 you've been the Indigenous Ministry Officer with Bush Church Aid. Yep. What, does, what does that particular role with Bush Church Aid involve? What do you sort of do week by week? BCA is at a change in the way in which they view Indigenous people and ministry. BCA had always seen uh, Indigenous people as being a mission field, and so someone to whom they will go and take the gospel uh, Mark Short, when he was in, uh, at, in the national director's job, uh, he was now the Bishop of Canberra Goulburn, um, he approached me to see whether or not I'd be interested in moving into a role to help them think through what Indigenous ministry uh, looks like and how uh, our field staff could work better in that space and also to identify young up-and-coming Aboriginal people to be trained and uh, therefore engage in ministry. So that's the way BCA looked at them. So we they've actually turned it on its head. So no longer do they see Aboriginal people as being a mission field. Sure, they still do that, but they more so see them as being a mission force. Yep. Aboriginal people who can be taken, trained up, and then uh, sent out into the ministry. Incidentally, when I came on board um, five years into this role, before that I was a field staff worker, um, Kathy and I were the only two people um, employed to do ministry in that space. Now we have four couples. We have 
an Aboriginal guy uh, on the executive board, and we also have some abs Aboriginal staff uh, in the office in Sydney, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, I'm just so overjoyed. But we want to see more of that happening. We just need to get the balance right. We just don't want to see BCA about Indigenous ministry. Um, <clears throat> we, we want to make sure that uh, the gospel is available to all people, um, and that's what we are proclaiming. I love that mission field move to mission force. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great way of putting it. Yep. Yep. And I think it changes the way in which we understand ministry, does it not? Yep. Yep. If we understand that we all have a responsibility, um, we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and that's just not for you and I. That's for everyone sitting in here this morning. <laughs> we all have a responsibility in that space. Um, and some of us do it um, willingly. Others need dragging to it. But <laughs> we, we have that responsibility. Yeah, great. Um, now, we started our service uh, with the acknowledgement of country that, that you wrote for BCA. Uh, we're on a bit of a, a, a learning curve as a, as a church. We've just launched a reconciliation action plan, and we really feel like we need to be listening and, and learning and growing in our understanding of how uh, best to relate and, and, and love uh, our Indigenous brothers and sisters. Um, why, why is an acknowledgement of country an important thing to do? Is it an important thing to do? The BCA acknowledgement of country is certainly oh, just, important yep. because we acknowledge God, the triune God who owns all things. Yep. Um, and he has given his created humanity responsibilities for his creation. And so what we try to capture in that acknowledgement of country is that truth. Yep. And so... Um, most acknowledgements of country these days has their starting point wrong. They talk about the First Nations people and so forth and so on and acknowledging their elders and God is completely missed out. And so I thought, if we're going to do this, we want to do it properly. We want it to be theologically sound. Yep. We want it to be based upon the authority of Scripture and we want to articulate it in such a way that churches and people within churches won't be threatened by it. And so every, a lot of churches these days have picked it up and run with it which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and I, I reckon that we got it right. People are using it, not as verbatim, but they're using it, they're, they're editing it a little bit. Um, and mind you, it's not just my work, it was BCA senior staff. So I did the initial draft. Yep. People like Adrian Lane and others who formed that senior staff um, group, we, we played around with it for about six months before we got it to where we thought we could uh, release it. Um, and so it's important because we're acknowledging God and his ownership of his whole creation and that we acknowledge that he gave custodianship and we move words like ownership, um, put in there stewardship, custodianship, because that's exactly what we are. We're not, you know, you guys will buy up all your houses and stuff. I've got news for you, you don't own it. <laughs> and one day you'll leave that behind. Um, but uh, we have a responsibility uh, to look after his um, creation and just understanding our role and our responsibility um, under God as we seek to uh, serve him within this space, this wonderful country of Australia. We still live in the best country in the world, I believe, and um, God has just so been so gracious to us as a nation. Thank you so much, Neville, and um, it's wonderful to have you with us, bringing God's word to us this morning. Um, lots of people here would pray for you using the BCA notes, so it's nice to have you with us yeah. uh, in person.
I appreciate it because the good Lord knows I need it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Mick. We're going to have our Bible reading now, and that's from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Yes, the reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21, and that can be found on page 937 of the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I may, let me uh, begin by thanking you guys for your support of BCA. It's a wonderful organisation. A little bit different to CMS. CMS does a lot of work uh, in other countries. BCA does work on home turf. And so basically the go-to text for uh, BCA when looking at mission work is Acts chapter 1, where the Lord says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the utmost parts of the world. Um, CMS, utmost parts of the world, we're working in our Jerusalem here in Australia. And so we appreciate uh, the support of God's people who support uh, that ministry. Friends, if I was to ask you this morning, what's the Bible all about? 
if you were to summarize the scriptures in a sentence or a couple of sentences, I wonder what you would say. Let me give you my summary of what I believe the Bible is all about. I believe that the Bible is God's plan for humanity from, crea- uh, from eternity past to eternity future. So if you want to know what's going to happen or what has happened, what's going to happen, then you can find that information in this book. The second thing we should note about this book, it's written for God's people. Sometimes we take the principles of what's written here and we try to appropriate it to people outside the church. And that's where we go wrong. Don't believe me? Look at all the epistles in the New Testament. Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome. He wrote to the church at Corinth. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica and so forth and so on. Southern churches of Galatia. You'll see Paul writing to these churches. And so we, in, when we come to texts, we need to understand that Paul is writing to Christian people, more so with this text that we come across in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a great read. And so as we look at that this morning, I trust that you and I uh, will understand that he's writing to you and I. Um, wrote to the Corinthian church, but the eternal truth still stands for today. And before we get into it, let me pray, and then we'll have a look at uh, this um, theme of a reconciliation that works. Can we do that? Sure we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all creation, that you sent your Son into this world that he might die for the forgiveness uh, of, of our sins. And we thank you that he was willing to come, that he laid down his life willingly, uh, and Father, that he suffered in our place. And so, Father, today, as we open your word, we pray that the Spirit of God might be our teacher. And Father, that we might have a better understanding of what you are saying to us in your word. So be with us this morning, we ask and pray as we open your word uh, this morning. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in 1991, a report into Aboriginal deaths in custody was handed down by the then commissioner appointed to oversee the Royal Commission into why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were dying in custody. The handing down of this report marked the formal beginnings of the process of reconciliation in this country. The Royal Commission recommended that all political leaders and their parties recognise that reconciliation between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, peoples um, leaders and their parties recognise that reconciliation between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and other Australians must be achieved if community division, discord and injustice to Indigenous Australians were to be avoided. Soon after, the Commonwealth Parliament voted unanimously to establish a Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation who was tasked with promoting reconciliation between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the wider Australian community. One of the first events staged by the Council was a walk for reconciliation, and many of you guys will remember this work, uh, this walk. This took place on the 28th of May 2000. More than 300,000 people made the walk across the Sydney Arbour Bridge in support of reconciliation. 22 years later, the question was asked, what have we achieved? Over 22 years in trying to address the issue of a divided country, 
What have we achieved? And I want to suggest very little and want to try and explain why it has struggled to work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, we have what I believe to be the prescription for a reconciliation that does work. And it does not come from a walk over a bridge. It doesn't come from two parties sitting down and discussing how they can be one. It doesn't involve a council saying what will or won't work for bringing people together as one. I believe the Bible is the only source of true reconciliation that exists today. Why? Because it, is to because it totally removes the human element out of the equation. Biblical reconciliation has as its primary focus a God and man relationship. As we are reconciled to God, we become members of his family and therefore one with other members of God's family. What do you mean, you might ask? Well, let's have a look at the text. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting uh, people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, I want to point out a couple of things uh, from this passage and from this idea of reconciliation. Firstly, I want to say that people outside of Christ are on a road to Christless eternity. And hence it, it behoves us to get out and do something, share our faith with other people. They are heading for an eternity without God. The sins of Adam have been passed on from generation to generation. And therefore, if they remain this way, they are outside of Christ and without hope. How did this happen, you might ask? Well, remember back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2. After God created mankind, he placed him in the garden to take care of it. God, through his graciousness, told Adam that he could eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so what happens? We know the story. Eve partakes of the fruit. She eats. She gives it to Adam. He partakes of the fruit. And they, in total, disobedience to God. And so God removes them for, from that garden. Prior to that, they had communion with God. You know, a lot of our people say the reason why reconciliation won't work in this country because there was no conciliatory process in the first place. There was no unity that existed um, in the first place. So in order to have reconciliation, you've got to have unity. Um, and so, or, or you've got to have a oneness of some description. And here we see in the Garden of Eden that unity uh, existed between God and his created humanity. As a result of sin, that relationship was severed. Adam and Eve were placed outside the garden, which represented the presence of God. And therefore, um, they didn't have access to him anymore. And so death 
was brought upon them. That was, the, that was the pronouncement of the punishment. And death happens in two ways, doesn't it? There is physical death and there is spiritual death. When God says that they would die, he meant it. And the moment they partook of the fruit, they died spiritually. They died spiritually. The fellowship that they enjoyed with God that brought about their spiritual life was severed. As a result, they were expelled from the garden and from God's presence. And it resulted in spiritual death. The offsprings of Adam became partakers of a sinful nature. That's you and I. You know, people say, well, who are you related to? We go back far enough, we're all, we're all related. We're from Adam's race. And so we need to uh, acknowledge that. The offsprings of Adam became partakers of a sinful nature. Following spiritual death came physical death. And we see the first account of that early in Genesis. The Bible teaches us that it is appointed unto man once to die. And then after this judgment, as a result of Adam's sin in the garden, the whole of humanity would be born into sin. Everyone ever born was born with a sinful nature. This, my friend, is spiritual death. The other matter of death is physical death. Should the Lord tarry, we will all all one day succumb to death. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Port Augusta, South Australia, taking a funeral of a, an Aboriginal leader, a female, lovely, lovely girl. And she asked me eight months ago whether or not I'd, I would uh, take her funeral. She knew she was dying and uh, she was wanting to die. You know, I don't get many people who want to die, but she <laughs> wanted to die. She knew that the hope for her life and her eternity lay beyond the grave. And so she... Um, experienced the hope that the gospel brought. And uh, I was able to, to uh, preach that day on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, we grieve not, not, not like the rest of men who have no hope, but we do have hope. We grieve, of course we do, but we grieve with hope that one day we'll see our loved ones again. So physical death is something that we will also come to one day should the Lord tarry. The point I want to make uh, is this. As a result of Adam's sin in the garden, people outside of Christ are on a collision course with an eternity without God. The gospel brings hope. The message of the cross is a message of relationship. It's a message of God having a relationship with his people. These relationships were instigated by God it was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That is the message, my friends, of the Bible. That is the message of the cross. God was at work, working to have a relationship with his created humanity. So let me explain the difference between secular reconciliation and biblical reconciliation. There's a lot of push out in Australian society today, that society be reconciled. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be one with one another. But the problem is, secular reconciliation says this, if you do something for me, and I do something for you, we can have a relationship. 
You get that? That's secular reconciliation. That's the reconciliation that exists in our community presently. You do something for me, I do something for you, you and I can have a relationship. Whereas biblical reconciliation says it's not what you do for me or what I do for you, it's what Christ has done for both of us. You see the difference? There is a real difference. Christ has brought about the reconciliation within the life of his church where his people can have a oneness. Now, in saying that, we must always remember that reconciliation is not unity. We tend to think of reconciliation as unity, and it's not. Uh, Reconciliation is a positional truth. So when we come to faith in Christ, that is our position before God. Um, We have a relationship with him, and therefore we have a relationship with one another. So guess what, folks? Whether or not you like it, this big black man up the front is your brother. And you guys are a part of God's family, and you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful truth. So there is no ethnic barriers. There is no social barriers, uh, is there? You know, male nor female. There is no um, gender barriers. When it comes to salvation, God wants people from across the broad throngs of humanity to be his people. And he wants his church, this side of heaven, to represent the church on the other side of heaven. And so we as a church have a lot of work to do. And we don't see our churches being multicultural. We don't see our churches being multilingual, do we? No, we struggle with that. Sometimes we get a little bit um, selfish with our own spaces at times. So biblical reconciliation is a reconciliation that works. And it doesn't mean unity. Now, you might say, well, what is, what's that all about? Well, think about it for a minute. And think about the New Testament situation. Uh, the disciples, they were unified, weren't they? Oh, sorry, they were reconciled, weren't they? But they weren't unified. If you read in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 and, and through to there, you see that the disciples were having an argument over who's going to be the greatest when you come into your kingdom or who's going to sit at your left hand or your right hand. So that was their argument. And they discussed this on numerous occasions. And Jesus had to rebuke them in regards to that. Here we have the disciples of the Lord who approached him and asked that question. Who's going to sit at your right hand when you come into your kingdom? And so what does Jesus do? He pulls a little child to himself and he says, unless you become as one of these, uh, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Another example of disunity is found in Acts chapter 15 where Paul is about to embark on his second missionary journey. And uh, they just came back from their first missionary journey. They reported of all the good things that God was doing through their ministry. And let me read it to you. Verses 36. Sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. Here these guys were, they were reconciled all right, They were positioned before God as his people and 
with one another. But here they're having a sharp disagreement about who should go on this next missionary journey. And what happened as a result of that, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers, to the grace of the Lord. Friends, let's get that into our minds. Reconciliation doesn't mean unity. That's something that we all need to work towards. And I reckon the Lord knew some of the difficulties that we would be confronted with as East people as we lead up to when Christ will come back for his church. In John chapter 17, uh, let's have a look at what it says there in verse 6. I have revealed to you, to those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me and they, obe- they have obeyed your words. Now they, have been, uh, now they know that everything you have given to me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. You get that? He's praying for who? He's praying for them. He's not talking about the disciples because he just prayed for his disciples. He's praying for all believers. Note what it goes on to say. I pray for them and I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through you. And note in particular verse 11 of John 17. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I came and I am coming to you. Holy Father, get this next part. Protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me. And note what he says next. So that they might be one. As we are one. And then he goes on to say, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. My friends, way back then, The all-knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ knew that there were going to be challenging times when it comes to unity within the life of his church. And he prays for his disciples. He prays for everyone that would come to faith in Christ. My friends, unity is so important when it comes to faith and ministry. Check out the divisions that took place in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 3. Is it any wonder that the greatest burdens that brought the Saviour to his knees is the disunity of his people? It was our disunity that caused our Lord to usher, or sorry, to to utter those words in John 17. We should expend our efforts in being unified with other believers. Sure, we are to do good to all men, especially the household of faith. Friends, that is what we are called to do. So reconciliation, the reconciliation that we should be concentrating on 
is bringing other people into a situation where they can hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to its call upon their lives. The church, the church spends a lot of resources on trying to be reconciled to people outside in the community. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we should always encourage that. But our primary focus, we are ambassadors for Christ to help people understand the gospel in order that they might come into to the life of the church and be a part of God's family. And so, friends, I commend that to you today. If you ever wanted to know the answer to the... Well, if you wanted to know what it is that we're supposed to be doing, there you have it in a nutshell. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for reconciliation. And, we, and uh, the one that works is biblical reconciliation. Uh, why? Because it removes the human element from the process. Let me pray and then I'm going to hand it back to Tim. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. We thank you that it's the only reconciliation that works because it removes the human element. We pray, Lord, that as this church continues to work towards reconciliation, Father, continue to work towards unity. We pray, Lord, that you might grant them success in all that they do. And we ask, Lord, that uh, they may see a need to reach out further into their community in order that other people might hear the gospel clearly proclaimed and, Father, answer the call of God upon their lives. So thank you for Tim and his team. Thank you for this church. And we ask, Lord, that you might continue to bless them as the body of Christ in this part of your vineyard. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.